Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I thought I would talk about mental illness and gender, mostly because I received an email from famous patron Lyndon asking me to talk about it. And at first I thought, I don't know if I have much to say about it, but then I did some research and I discovered, as usual, I have a lot of things to say about it. (laughs) So um, before moving forward, I just want to ask you a few questions. I want you to think about something. When I want you to picture in your mind a depressed human being, that person is depressed, they're crying all the time, or maybe they just lack motivation and they're not crying all the time. They're, they're down, they have a hard time getting up to go to work, they frequently have low self-esteem. Okay, now freeze that person in your mind. Is that person a man or a woman or some other gender? What gender do you picture in your mind? Now, for some of you, you're going to be thinking about a woman. And for some of you, you'll be thinking about some other gender. So I want you to think about that. Now, think about someone with, and just just free associate with me on this. Think about someone with schizophrenia. Someone has schizophrenia. They're hallucinating. They're talking to themselves. They are, um, you know, they have disorganized thoughts. They might be hospitalized. They might even be homeless. Okay. Is that person, uh, what gender is that person? Okay. Now picture someone who has antisocial personality disorder. They commit a lot of crimes. They're violent. They, um, they manipulate other people. Okay. What gender is that person? Now think about someone with an alcohol problem, someone who drinks every night or every day, all day. Is What gender is that person? Now some of you might be saying, well, I don't know. I, I don't really attribute either gender. But some of you might be thinking, well, actually, when I think of someone with an alcohol problem, I think of this, this sort of gender. Okay, now think of a kid in school, 10 years old, with, with ADHD. That person has been diagnosed with ADHD. Is that, is that a boy or a girl or some other gender? Now, for some of you, you'll have definite genders that you'll assign to these disorders. And for some of you, you won't. I don't know. But the, the question I have is, why do we have a bias about particular disorders? Is it accurate? Are some disorders more likely to be present in one gender or another? Or, you know, and just at the caveat moving forward, I, I'm already sort of... Uh, realizing this, that this entire episode is going to be gender binary. The research and the literature is uh, 99.99999% based on gender binary um, uh, language. And so uh, I'm not going to be talking about trans people. I'm not going to be talking about gender fluid people, queer people. It's, uh, it's going to be based on men and women because that's the data I have available to me. And I'm guessing in another 20 to 30 years, we'll have more data, better data regarding uh, trans and um, non-binary gender-related mental illness facts. So I apologize for that on behalf of my industry. <laughs> okay, so now why is it that some disorders are associated with men and some are associated with women. Is that accurate? Are there gender differences? And if there are gender differences, why are there gender differences? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. I'm going to provide some 
data, some facts regarding different diagnoses and the prevalence rates between men and women. I'm going to talk about some of the challenges to research. I'm going to talk about why. So long story short, in a nutshell, there are differences when they study men and women between different mental illnesses. Some are more prevalent among men, some are more prevalent among women. And so I'm going to talk about why that would be cultural reasons, biological reasons, and clinician reasons. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and I'm also a professor. This episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So if you're listening to this and you're not a patron of the podcast yet, this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Become a patron and you'll get access to hundreds of patron-exclusive episodes in which we do deep dives into various topics. And when you become a patron, you don't have to listen to the vast majority of commercials. So when you're not a patron, you have to listen to a lot of commercials. But when when you are a patron, you don't have to listen to most, if not all, the commercials. And remember that a portion of your monthly pledge goes towards various charities that we support. All right, welcome to the Patron Zone people. Thanks for being a patron. Super cool of you. Again, this topic was suggested by famous patron Lyndon. And uh, if you want to join the Facebook fan group, you can do that. Go to the So we have the Facebook regular page, and there's also the Facebook fan group. Fan group is a lively bunch, which people are you know, participating in, which is every once every once in a while, once a month, I kind of dip over there and check out what's going on. And it looks like you guys are having a fun time and uh, posting interesting things. Okay. Uh, a caveat about myself moving forward is this is not my expertise. Mental illness prevalence rates and, uh, and th- this topic is just not super central to my wheelhouse. As a clinician who has worked in the field for over 20 years, I have diagnosed many people. And as someone who has a psychology doctorate, I have had plenty of education experience in assessments and whatnot, and in research uh, understanding and all that kind of stuff. But I just have to say that there are there's a possibility that some of you out there as clinicians might actually know more about this than I do. And as I talk about it, you might be going, well, you know, Kirk, you're not really getting it super accurate. So I just want to acknowledge it. Now, if you there are certain things that I talk about in this podcast that I won't have this caveat to. Um, you might be able to guess what some of those topics are. You know, general psychotherapy things, I will say I'm absolutely uh, capable of talking about these things with authority. So this is compared to the layperson, I definitely am more qualified to talk about this, but there are people in my profession that know this sort of stuff forwards and backwards, and you would be able to hear the differences between us if you listen to us both talk about it. So anyway, all right. So uh, what are the facts? Well, according to research, uh, women are more likely to be treated with a mental health problem. So, so I'll get more into uh, speculation, essentially, as to why there are differences. But just looking at the facts, uh, I believe this is United States uh, data. Uh, of the people who 
so women are, uh, see, women are more likely to have been treated. So in, in their lifetime, women are, have a 29% likelihood that they will have been quote unquote treated for a mental health problem. Whereas men, 17%. So the figures are pretty close, but you see, you know, a pretty big jump between 17 and 29. So about a third of women will in their lifetime be treated for a mental health problem and about a a fifth of men will be treated for a mental health problem. Now that doesn't, now does that mean that women suffer from more mental health issues? Uh, We'll get into more of that in a second. All right. Depression. Uh, this this subject, depression and gender, has been studied around the world extensively. It's probably, anecdotally, in, in my mind anyway, is the most studied mental disorder regarding gender. It might even be the most studied mental disorder overall. But for depression, uh, which do you think are more... You know, what, are is it are women more likely are men more likely or is it the same what do you think this will be a little tougher bluff between me and you (laughs) not tougher bluff but quiz between me and you Uh, if you think it was women are more likely than you are right women are two about two times more likely to have depression or be diagnosed with depression Uh, what about anxiety men more likely women more likely or the same well if you thought that women are more likely, you'd be correct. Women are, again, two times more likely to be diagnosed with this. What about substance abuse problems? Alcohol, cannabis, other drugs. What do you think? Men more likely, women more likely, or the same? Well, if you said that men were more likely, you would be accurate. Men are two times more likely, about uh, more likely to have a problem with substance abuse. Uh, men in their lifetime, 20% of men in their lifetime will have a substance, a diagnosable substance abuse problem. And women in their lifetime, 8% in their lifetime will have a sub. Th- to me, when I saw this figure, I, th- I said, wow, that's really high, you know, uh, between 10 and 20% of people. So say 15% of people in their lifetime will sub- will suffer from a diagnosable substance abuse problem. And then I said, well, 15%. And then I started thinking about everyone I know. And I was like, that seems kind of low, actually. <laughs> um, regarding alcohol specifically, not just substance abuse, in a given year, so not lifetime, but in a given year, 11% of men are diagnosable as having an alcohol problem. 11% of men in a given year. So that means like at any given time, about 10% of men, I think in the United States, I, I don't remember exactly, but let's just say that 10% of men in the United States are diagnosable as having an alcohol problem. It's like, wow. And whereas a 4% of women, so pretty significant difference there. What about antisocial personality disorder? So this is akin to psychopathy. What do you think? Are men more likely to be diagnosed with this women or the same? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Men are more likely to be diagnosed with this. They're three times more likely. Lifetime prevalence for men is 6%. Lifetime prevalence for women is 1%. All right, what about borderline personality disorder? Women more likely, men more likely, or the same to be diagnosed with this? 
Well, everyone knows that women are more likely to be diagnosed with this. They're three times more likely to be diagnosed. Uh, but I'll get into you know caveats to all this stuff that um, I'll just jump to the chase here and say that I believe, and there's a lot of new research, better research coming out that demonstrates that borderline personality is has the same prevalence rates between men and women, which makes total sense because the the genesis of borderline has nothing to do with gender. Uh, so, uh, so this is a little interesting thing here. Okay, so we have anxiety and depression. We have women twice as more likely. And then all the substance abuse problems, men are twice as likely. So isn't that interesting? And then when we look at antisocial, men are three times as likely. When we look at borderline, women are three times as likely. So it's, it's an interesting little correlation here that um, has some speculation in there. Uh, suicide, women are much more likely to ideate or think about suicide. And men are much more are much less likely to think about suicide, but, but are much more likely to die from attempts. So of the people who complete suicide, 75% of those people are men. What about eating disorders, men or women? Pretty obvious. It's women. In any given year, 2% of women suffer from some sort of eating disorder. Uh, I think that's general eating disorders. Maybe it's just anorexia. And in a given year, men... 0.2%, so a very low rate uh, in the research for men and uh, a much higher rate for women in eating disorders. Uh, what about post-traumatic stress disorder? Women are kind of more likely to be diagnosed with PTSD, but that's a little um, hard to say as well. What about the same? Are there any major diagnoses in the DSM that are, have the same prevalence across men and women? Well, bipolar seems to be that has you know men and women seem to have the same rates, and schizophrenia men and women have the same rates. Okay, and what about mental illness overall? Uh, are when we lump all mental illness and men, men and women together, are are men more likely to suffer from a mental illness, or are women more likely to suffer from a mental illness? According to most research, what it seems to bear out is that men and women have equal rates of mental illness. Uh, as I've talked about in other episodes, there's about a 50% lifetime rate for both men and women to suffer from a diagnosable mental illness. And at any given time, it's about a 25% rate for both men and women. But men and women seem to be labeled with different labels. Okay, so so that's the data. Again, just a, just a, a a rough sort of summary. Women are more likely to be diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Men are more likely to be diagnosed with substance problems. Um, women are more likely to be diagnosed with borderline. Men are more likely with antisocial. Women are more likely with eating disorders, and many other disorders seem to be the same across gender. All right. So before moving into factors as to why all this is happening, I want to provide some caveats here. When you understand research in this arena and when you understand assessment in this arena, you will hopefully understand that it's 
a very fuzzy area. This is not a hard science. This is not like saying the prevalence rates for, you know, having a sixth finger or something, or the prevalence rates for brown hair, or the prevalence rates for infant death, or the prevalence rate. The, they're, all, all, all sciences, even the ones that I just mentioned, will have problems, you know, of reporting and, and what's the difference between brown hair and like light brown hair? Is that red hair? You know, there's, there's problems there, but when it comes to psychology, it's really problematic. It's so hard to know for sure what's happening. You're asking human beings in different cultures around the world in different languages of different ages of different, uh, backgrounds to describe to you what is going on in their mind. And then from that description, and maybe from some behavioral markers, you are going to look in this, I don't know how many pages is DSM today. It's like 900 pages or something, 1,000 pages. You're going to look in this huge tome, and you're going to match up what their description is to you know, one of these categories in the DSM. So not only does the human being have to describe themselves accurately, not, not only do they have to not lie, which is a whole other thing, not only do they have to um, understand themselves and tell you, but also the clinician has to really understand the person and understand diagnoses and understand assessment. And this is a, a tall order, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> So even when you're using quote unquote objective measuring tools like like uh, surveys that quote unquote objectively measure someone's symptoms, you're still asking someone to subjectively rate their experience, and and so it's it's hard to measure any of this stuff. So when we talk about mental illness, and when we talk about rates of mental illness, and when we talk about gender differences, then you know, the amount of fuzziness that's worked into that whole thing is is extremely fuzzy. And as I said earlier, we're not even including trans people or other gender identities. So that's a whole other issue. So that all needs to be considered before moving forward, is that we're in a fuzzy science area. And in 100 years or 500 years, when we're able to objectively measure the neurons of our brains and understand things, we might look back on our science today and say like, man, they really were the blind leading the blind back then, which, you know, could be true. Okay. So why do we see women being diagnosed with anxiety and depression and bipolar more often than men? And why do we see men being diagnosed with antisocial and um, and substance abuse, and why you know so for women we got depression, anxiety, borderline, and eating disorders, and for for men we have substance abuse and antisocial. You know why why is that? Now again another caveat. <laughs> I'm saying when I say that I'm not there. There are plenty. I'm just talking about rates, right? So there are plenty of men who are diagnosed with depression and plenty of men who are diagnosed with anxiety and plenty of men who have eating disorders. You know, I'm just talking about averages here when I, so I just want to be clear as bell curves, 
But um, okay, so so why do we see women more women with depression, anxiety, uh, borderline eating disorders? Why do we see more men with substance abuse problems and antisocial? Well, there are some cultural reasons that we can point to as as possible factors. Uh, from the onset, I'll say that there there are probably it's probably a multifactorial uh, issue, which seems you know to make a lot of sense when you're talking about the brain and mental illness and uh, the development of the personality. Of of course, there would be multiple factors, right? So so there's no one factor that we can really just say, yep, that's it. Um, the other caveat I'll say is that I'm going to make a lot of cultural generalizations and. Uh, about men and women and socialization that are not true for everybody, of course. But they're so they're they're on average men are socialized this way. On average, women are socialized this way in the West. So so on average, men in general are socialized to be independent, right? And women are socialized in general to be dependent. Women are socialized to ask for help whereas men are socialized to not ask for help. All you have to do is look at the asking for directions uh, jokes that people say. Men are socialized to not go to the physician for help. Uh, when I think about this socialization, I think about my own childhood, and I think about all the times that I was hurt as a kid, and whenever I was around other men and, and boys there was this uh, very clear message that if you asked for help, you were being a pussy and that you should just walk it off or you should even just try to grin and bear it, you know. And, and I remember really respecting my friends who could endure extreme injury and just bounce right back. I, I had a best friend when I was in the uh, fourth grade or something, third grade, and I just, he would get so hurt. We would, we would both get hurt all the time. But whenever I got hurt, I would cry and I would scream. And when he would get hurt, he would, he would not say a word. He was very stoic and very quiet. His name was Greg. Uh, and uh, Greg Olson actually was his name or is his name. And I just remember, I just wanted to be just like him. He just was so cool. And then I'll never forget we were, uh, we got the, we had, it was right when skateboards started to come back into style and he had a skateboard and he lived on in this cul-de-sac, but it was this really long cul-de-sac on the Pine Lake Plateau. It was probably like, I don't know, like in city blocks wise, it was probably like four, three, maybe three city blocks. It was really long. It was a really st steep hill. And his house was at the end of the end of the thing. And so we're, we're looking at this hill. We're in the fourth grade, I think. We're looking in, at this hill, and we're looking at this skateboard, and we're like, man, we should, we should ride this skateboard all the way down that hill. <laughs> it's so dumb. And since, you know, we're small, we can maybe both fit on the skateboard. So, so he gets on the skateboard, and he sits. I actually did this twice, and injured my and someone got injured both times i i still have a scar i did this another time uh, with my other friend steve um 
we actually put a garbage can lid on top of the skateboard and went down a hill and I fell off and completely, um, you know, got a road burn on my ankle and I still have a scar on my, on my leg from that. But anyway, um, we're going down the, I'm going down the hill with Greg Olson and he's in front and I'm, I'm behind and we immediately start going, we're booking down this hill. I mean, we are just flying down this hill and I'm like, Oh my God, this is exciting. And as we going faster and faster, I'm like, and I'm looking ahead and I realize we did not think this through because at the end of the cul-de-sac, there's just this, um, there's these woods that goes to this, this Creek that's uh, beyond the woods. And we don't have a way to stop. Like we, we're just, we're both sitting on, you know, I'm sitting behind him and we're, we're, you know, screaming down this hill and I don't know how we're going to stop. And so, uh, about two thirds down the hill, I just decide I'm going to bail because I'm like, I either bail now or I fly into the woods and God knows what's going to happen to me there. And so I bail and then, uh, I didn't hurt myself that bad, but then I see Greg and as he's getting closer to the bottom, I can see him realizing that he's got to stop himself somehow. So he puts his hands down on the, the uh, asphalt. Okay. On the asphalt. He, st- he puts his, hand, di- his hands directly onto the, the road as he's screaming down this hill. And his hand, his left hand, I see it, immediately like catches on something. And then he runs over his hand with his, uh, with the skateboard. He, you know, it was, it was really fast. He just, he puts his hand down and wham, it just goes straight under the wheels. And, and then he goes flying. And remember how I told you, like he was always stoic. I remember we were at recess and we were playing soccer and he just took a total header. And he, I thought, Oh man, he's going to cry. And he just bounced right back up. He's like, I'm fine. And I was like, man, it's so impressive. Um, Another time, but before I tell you what happened with the skateboard, another time we were uh, playing, we were on this, we were on the soccer team together. My dad was the coach. Actually, actually, both of our dads were the coaches, his dad and my dad. And one of the uh, conditioning exercises we did one time, we were, we were indoor on a basketball court because it was bad weather. And so he was on my back and we were doing uh, sprints in, in the basketball court, up and down the basketball court, and he's on my back. I don't know how he was conditioning for this, but I, because um, I was a much bigger kid than, than he was. And so he's on my back, and I tripped, and he hit his, um, his chin on the court, and his, his chin split open. And I remember I could see his bone and he didn't cry at all in that instance. He his his chin was completely split open, and it was my fault too, which I felt horrible about. And he didn't cry at all. I I wanted to cry just looking at that wound when I was in the th- fourth grade. Okay, so I was like, this guy is he nothing can make this kid cry. We're screaming down this hill. I bail. His hand goes goes. He runs over his hand on accident. And he jumps up and he is screaming. He is wailing. <laughs> I, I remember just being like, oh. 
his hand must be off. His hand must have come off in that injury because I have seen that guy not cry over things that would make anybody cry. And not only was he crying, but it was like all the tears from all the injuries came out in this one injury. And he, I mean, he was screaming so loud and we both run into the house and his mom starts to take care of his hand and he's still screaming. And my God, the amount of pain that guy must've been through. Okay. So all this is to say that I remember growing up in on the Pine Lake Plateau near Seattle. And I had a very distinct notion that to be a man, even though I was only eight years old, you needed to not cry. You needed to suck it up. You needed to not be a pussy and you needed to not ask for help and you needed to threaten yourself with danger and you needed to put yourself into physical harm. You needed to get harmed and then you needed to not do anything. And I remember you know, that very distinct message getting into my head well before I was in the third grade. So, so that's another reason why women would seek help more like now Americans are not likely to seek help anyway, but women are just slightly, but or, well, I should say, but men are even more likely not to seek help. <laughs> you know, it's not like women are like, yeah, I'm going to seek help. And I am, I always ask for help. No, Americans are socialized to be independent, but men are socialized to be even more independent, if that makes any sense. All right. Another generalization we can make about socialization, learning, and culture for men and women is that men are socialized to, quote-unquote, externalize their problems, while women are socialized to, quote-unquote, internalize their problems. This is a very common assertion by people when we talk about gender differences in mental illness. And what do we mean by externalization and internalization? Well, it's, it's kind of complicated, but in a nutshell, when we are suffering— and we're upset, we have essentially a spectrum of options on the externalization, internalization uh, spectrum. To externalize is to do things like yell or get hostile or act out or commit a crime. These are external acts. You know, I, I'm angry and I'm going to punch someone. And internalization acts are things that are internal. So to say negative things to the self, to become depressed, to isolate oneself, to restrict your eating, this sort of thing. Those are internal problems. You're not striking out, you're striking in. Well, men are clearly socialized in our society to externalize their problems while women are socialized to internalize your problems. So maybe that's why we see a difference in depression and anxiety as opposed to antisocial. Antisocial personality disorder is uh, one of the hallmarks is crime. Criminal behavior is one of the hallmarks of antisocial. And therefore, maybe that's you know, the externalization behavior that we're seeing in men when, when they're suffering. Women are socialized to have strong social networks, and um, therefore, when uh, because women are more likely to have people that they confide in, then maybe those friends are more likely to recommend that they get help if when they're suffering. So maybe that's why there's more women that uh, seek help. 
Another generalization we can make is that around the world, women are marginalized more than men are, which would make anybody more anxious and depressed, right? Uh, for example, of the poor people on the planet, 70% are women. So I just want to say that again. When you lump all the poor people who who are defined by some criteria uh, as a poor person, 70% of those people are women. That is shocking. But, you know, just another data point on the sexism uh, tip. Also, women are much more likely to be affected by violent conflicts and disasters. So whenever there's a disaster or a war, women are more likely to be affected by it, which doesn't make intuitive sense, but is true when they look at the data. Women are, uh, according to some research, seemingly more likely to be traumatized because of the higher rate of sexual traumas that are inflicted upon women. So if women are more likely to be traumatized, then you're going to see higher rates of things like depression and PTSD and anxiety. Men are socialized to drink booze and to use substances more than women are uh, in general. That was a bit of a tough one to say, but uh, I would say on average women women are a little more discouraged from substances than men are. Men are socialized to earn money and to gain power, right? Which can motivate antisocial acts. So, you know, it, it, when you're a man, you're socialized to, to get money, you know, get, get those, get those ducats and to gain power and to be, to have a prestigious vibe to you, you know, and, so when you're backed into a corner and you're having a tough time getting a job and you're driving around in a shitty car, you because of your socialization, you have a greater motivation to commit crimes, essentially, to gain money and power. And so therefore, that can lead to more antisocial personality diagnoses. All right. So again... Women more li- are more likely to be diagnosed with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and borderline, and men are more likely to be diagnosed with antisocial and alcohol and substance abuse problems. Now, here, here's the thing. Everyone is... Uh, l- men and women are both mistreated in this world, right? So when children are mistreated, I would say, based on the research and based on my own experience in life that you're not more likely to be mistreated as a child if you're a boy or a girl. Um, you're, you're definitely more likely to be mistreated under other circumstances, like the, the greater the uh, social pressures on the family, the, the greater the marginalization on the parents. The, you know, there, there's factors that can increase mistreatment in children, but, but gender doesn't seem to be one of them. And so... Aside from sexual trauma, right? But anyway, so if I think in general, we can say that children, boys and girls are equally mistreated um, when they're children. And when those kids develop, when they are socialized and as they grow up, they learn different coping skills with that mistreatment and trauma. And... 
for women, since they're socialized to internalize their problems, then they learn that a, a so so here's a here's one way of looking at it. <laughs> let me let me start over here. When you are mistreated, one way of looking at it is that you internalize the person who is mistreating you, right? This is my psychodynamic object relations model here coming out. When you're mistreated, when you're neglected, when you're abused, when you're traumatized, you when you're when you're parented badly, you internalize that parent, right? Well, as as you uh, grow up, you need to somehow express that internalized person. And as, if you're socialized to internalize a problem, then you will turn that internalized person on yourself. So you will talk shit to yourself. You'll say, I'm a bad person. I'm worthless. Uh, you don't deserve things. You know, you should just not eat because you don't deserve it or, you know, whatever. And so that's one manifestation of the, your mistreatment and how it's manifesting later in life. Whereas if you've been socialized to externalize the problem, then you might act like the mistreating parent and strike out against other people by treating other people badly. I hope this is making sense. <laughs> uh, I feel like it, to properly explain that idea, I'd really have to talk about it for a while, but so I hope that makes sense. Okay. So that's my extremely brief discussion about gender socialization and how it might affect um, and result in the differences in rates of certain diagnoses. Why women are more likely to be diagnosed with depression. Why men are more likely to be diagnosed with antisocial. Okay, so that's, that's, that's culture, learning, socialization. Number two, another major category of factors are in what I would call the clinical or professional world. So, the, as I said earlier, the people who measure these diagnoses are human beings. They are not machines that are objective. They are professional clinicians. They are human beings who are tasked with assessing and diagnosing a human being who is describing things to them, right? And so, uh, research shows that clinicians diagnose men and women differently, even though they have the exact same symptoms. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we give, there's research where you, you give profiles to clinicians and all you do is change the gender and you will see groups of clinicians diagnosing men and women differently, even though they have the exact same presentation. And I just have to say my God, we are stupid creatures. <laughs> I have to say that's like, you know, the symptoms are exactly the same and clinicians who are trained and supposed to be like good at this sort of stuff. And I'm sure I would fall prey to this bias myself will diagnose people differently just based on that F or that M that is on that uh, profile. <laughs> so dumb. Uh, another example women are 50% more likely to be given a psychotropic, uh, 
even with identical presentations. So again, they give identical presentations to prescribers and they just change the gender and the prescribers are 50% more likely to give a, a medication to the women than they are to the men, even though there are, they have the exact same presentation. My God, we're dumb. Okay. So, um, I have seen and research has demonstrated this to some, it's hard to research this too, because, um, it's a hard thing to pin down, but anecdotally and according to some research, when we look at the cluster B sim- uh, symptoms, right, we're looking at antisocial, uh, narcissistic, borderline histrionic. Whenever, it, it, let's say someone just comes in and they have like an amorphous cluster B presentation, you know, um, for you clinicians out there, you probably know what I'm talking about. Well, if you have sort of a general cluster B personality disorder presentation, then clinicians are much more likely, if, if, the, if the client is a man, they're much more, much more likely to say, oh, that person's antisocial or, oh, that person's narcissistic. Whereas if it's a woman, the clinician is much more likely to say, oh, that woman patient is borderline or that woman patient is histrionic. Because when we see certain things in, in men, we, we tend to uh, frame it as, oh, that's antisocial or narcissistic. Whereas when we see the exact same thing in women, we're like, oh, that's borderline, oh, that's histrionic. So that's one reason why we might see differences in prevalence rates. Another example is when people present with anger. When, when patients present with anger, in my anecdotal experience, I will see clinicians diagnosing men and women differently. They'll look at men and they'll say, oh, bipolar. And if they have an angry woman, then they'll say, oh, depression or some other thing. That's just anecdotal. Another difference that I see anecdotally is when you have a child who talks a lot in class and is not doing well in class, getting in trouble. When you have that in boys, automatic ADHD. Uh, kid, you know, kids talking in class, boy, he's distractible, ADHD. Whereas if a girl is talking in class, then they'll either say, again, this is anecdotal, they'll, they'll either say, oh, that girl, she's just really social. She's just really social. Or they'll say she has low self-esteem and she's acting out or something. So boys are much more likely to be labeled with ADHD and autism, by the way even though plenty of girls have ADHD and autism. Another difference that I can think of off the the top of my head is excessive drinking in college. So if you have a a college kid who is drinking a lot and that kid is a boy, then clinicians are likely to just say, well, you know, that's normal. Uh, College boys drink alcohol. That's what they do. Whereas if it's a girl drinking the same amount the clinician is much less likely to see that as normal and more likely to see that as some sort of self-esteem problem or abuse problem and on and on. So if we we can go through all the different uh, presentations of symptoms and many of them, we, we would say, at least I would speculate that there are differences in the way that clinicians will view it depending on the gender of the uh, person that's being assessed. 
Okay. So we looked at culture learning and we looked at professional and clinical factors. Now let's look at biology. Now this is not my area. I am not a biologist or a physician, but I do know enough to say the following, that hormones absolutely play a role in brain development and in brain activity, although it's hard to tell to what extent because socialization can also affect brain development and brain activity. But it's, you know, testosterone, it's, there seems to be some mild and generalizable differences between the development of the brain depending on the hormone mix. Also, menstruation can play a role in, in differences in mental conditions. But, and this is a big but, there's a lot of new research as people start to really try to lock this down and look at it again through a cultural lens. They, there's, there's new research that suggests that, that personality and mental illness and other things like that have nothing to do with hormones. You know, there, there's, there's these notions out there that like, well, when a, when a woman's on her period, then, you know, this happens. Or when a woman goes through menopause, then this happens. But there's some research that, that suggests that when you actually, or demonstrates that when you actually control for uh, people's life circumstances, that the differences go away. For example, a lot of women who are going through menopause, a lot of those women in today's Western world are, are not only taking care of kids or taking care of young adult kids, but they're also working full time. And they might also be struggling with the Western diet and trying to lose weight. And they might also be suffering from some sexist issues. Now, when you add all that up, you're going to have symptoms. You're going to have mental illness symptoms, depression, anxiety, PTSD, this sort of thing. And that has nothing to do with hormones and menopause, right? But it, it, it could be that a lot of women going through menopause just happen to also have a lot of life circumstances that cause mental conditions. So again, as we talk about always correlation doesn't mean causation, right? Just because menopause correlates with certain issues doesn't mean that menopause is the cause, right? It just might be that there's a, there's another factor in there somewhere. So it, it, the definitely what I can say is this is that the way in which lay people talk about hormones and menstruation is is vastly overblown. You know, you'll you'll hear people, particularly men, I suppose, talking about, well, you know, women when they get on their periods, blah 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 blah. Now, this isn't to say that when uh, women have fluctuations in their hormones, that there aren't effects on personality and uh, mental um, uh, states, because there are. I mean, there's there's plenty of people who have noticeable mood differences as they have their monthly cycle and, and in menstruation for that matter, matter, matter. And this isn't to say that men don't have hormone fluctuations as well, because they do. Um, so it's not to say that hormones don't affect things, you know, because, because they do in many people, but the, 
the amount at which we at least culturally put on that might be overblown. But, you know, that's one factor you want to think about. So maybe the differences in depression for men and women have to do somewhat with society, somewhat with learning, somewhat with clinician bias, and somewhat with hormones is the thing. Also, we should talk about postnatal anxiety and postnatal depression, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. About 10% of women uh, suffer from this, and therefore that could increase the rates of anxiety and depression among, among women, right? Uh, also, another factor that's interesting is that women live longer. And when you live longer, you're more likely to have more people die who are close to you, right? And so you're more likely to be suffering from grief, right? And you're more likely, therefore, to have rates, higher rates of depression related to that grief. So that's another factor that could be at play here. Also, since women live longer and since age is associated with dementia, you're more like women are more likely to suffer from dementia because they live longer. And so that's a, uh, and that's a part of, you know, that's another mental condition that can lead to all sorts of things, including anxiety and depression. So those are just some brief biological factors that I can think of. So again, the, the overall rates of mental illness between men and women are the same. About 25% of men and about 25% of women at any given time are diagnosable. And about 50% of men and about 50% of women at some time in their lifetime will be diagnosable. So men and women suffer from similar, if not exact, rates of mental illnesses. However... And there are many mental illnesses such as bipolar and schizophrenia that have no differences between rates of men and women. But when we look at depression and anxiety and borderline and eating disorders, women are much more likely to suffer from those. And when we look at antisocial and substance abuse problems, alcohol, cannabis, other substances, men are much more likely to suffer from those problems. And it seems as though the factors that would cause these differences, it seems as though there are many factors that would contribute to those differences. One being that boys and girls are socialized to deal differently with mistreatment and deal differently with their suffering. Uh, in general, boys are socialized to externalize through antisocial and substance abuse acts, whereas women are socialized to internalize through depression and neurotic acts or thinking patterns. Also, clinicians are more likely to diagnose men and women in different ways, and uh, also biology, hormones, uh, child uh, birth, these kinds of things may also play a role in the differences of mental conditions. So what I want to conclude with is to say that I recommend that, is particularly you clinicians out there, that when you think about gender and mental illness, that you try not to think too much about it, honestly. I mean, think about it in terms of, of trying to advocate for more equality and 
less bias. But when I started out as a clinician and as and I was in graduate school, I I don't know if someone uh, sort of injected this into my head or not, but I remember having very distinct gender associations with different disorders. I would, when I, when I thought of someone with borderline, I thought about a woman. When I thought about someone with antisocial, I thought about a man. And what I'll say is that that sort of shorthand genderized thinking, I think limits one's ability to understand human beings because there's still plenty of women who have antisocial personality disorder. And the people who come to see you, or even the people in your personal life for that matter, don't necessarily match up exactly with the prevalence rates, right? You know, is it possible to meet a depressed person? Is it possible for that person to be, to to identify as a man? Uh, Yeah, of course. So these, these, Gender differences in mental illness, I think, are overblown, and I think that they actually make it harder for clinicians to diagnose people and understand. Clearly, because when they actually, you know, study clinicians, we we have these biases of gender regarding particular diagnoses, and it's like, why would we do that to ourselves? So, so. Th- I haven't really been talking about that, but I just want to say that at the end here is uh, try, do your best uh, to always keep in mind that a borderline person can be a man or a woman. Now, when you look at broad swaths of people, maybe there are some differences, but when you, when you have someone in your office, they could be one of those people in that 20%, you know what I mean? And so, so for example, it took me a while to realize that many of the men I was treating had borderline. In the first half of my career, I never would have thought they were borderline. I thought that they were antisocial or I thought that they were narcissistic or I just thought that they were, I don't know, demanding or something. And it wasn't until, I don't know, seven or eight years ago that I suddenly saw the light and I was like, oh, that's what a man looks like when he's bipolar. It's actually not that different than a woman when they're I'm not. I said bipolar, borderline. <laughs> um, that's what it looks like when a man is borderline. I hope I haven't seen haven't been saying bipolar this whole time. <laughs> My God, um, if I was smart, I'd just rewind the podcast. But um, hopefully, that's not necessary. So. Uh, about, I don't know, eight, eight years ago, eight, 10 years ago, suddenly I started realizing, oh, that's what it looks like when a man has borderline. And it was interesting because at first I was like, oh, it presents so differently in men. But over time, I've realized that, no, if I just take away the visual in my head of the gender of that patient, the behavior is almost identical between men and women when it comes to borderline personality. The, the words are the same. The, the vibe is the same. And, and yet, it, 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 it was so hard for me to see that for so long because I had either had it beaten into my head or I had decided long ago because it was easier that borderline was a female thing. 
Now, when it comes to depression, for whatever reason, I never had that that in I never had that notion that depression was a female or a male thing. I always I was always able to see depression in both men and women pretty quickly in my early career. So I just I just want to end with that. All right, famous patron Lyndon, thank you for writing in and asking an excellent question. I I want also to ask patrons out there, since I always respond to your your questions faster. If you have short questions, as I I think I said this in another podcast, if you have short questions, that'd be great. You know, patron Terrence I think asked what I would ask Bowen if, and then he also gave me what he would ask Bowen. Just a simple question, you know, like. Um, I don't know, just simple little questions. You guys are really good at asking the big questions like mental illness and gender. <laughs> and these are great topics that I love to go into that I would not go into unless I was prompted by you. When I sit down in front of my computer to do an episode and I don't have any guidance from the patrons, I'm like, the options are endless. What, where do I start? But when I have a patron like Lyndon saying, hey, how about this? I'm like, okay, that gives me a direction to go in. So I love all that. But I also sometimes think that you guys are asking these humongous questions that are just so big, <laughs> which are great, but small questions are good too. So if you have smaller scale questions, I think uh, I'd be happy to entertain those. Um. If you have non-psychology-related questions, you know, patron Noel sometimes asks me about my opinion on different movies, and we love to talk about movies, uh, different music, or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> we could talk about lots of things here. Also, uh, spread the word about the podcast. Also, if you want to use Talkspace, use the promo code Kirk. They are sponsoring our episodes this month, so you can go to Talkspace and forget, get some online counseling. Use the promo code K-I-R-K. Also, let's do another patron raffle. Let's send some swag to people who joined the podcast exactly a year ago. And of those people, who has a picture that's uploaded? We have patron Chris, who joined in October 2016. It uh, looks like he's got a funny picture there where I can see just one of his eyes. That's a cute picture. We have patron Nick. Hey, I know patron Nick. Nick emails me sometimes. And we have patron Katie. So we got Nick, Chris, and Katie. Where do you guys live? Just so I can make sure that... Oh, Katie, you don't have your address on here, so I can't send you stuff. We have... Uh, so I'll just do Steve. Patron Steve from from Kirkland. And we have patron Nick from New York, and we have patron Chris from Australia, one of our, let's see, Tanilla Bay. Tanilla Bay? Wait. Uh, yeah, Tanilla Bay. Uh, New South Wales, I'm guessing. NSW, New South Wales. Hey, I know my Australian provinces. <laughs> um, okay, so patron Chris, patron Steve, and patron Nick. Three dudes. Uh, sorry, patron Katie, you didn't have a, um, your address on there. So on Patreon, so I can't send you something. 
All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really do. (laughs) 